Well, good morning, everybody. You can go ahead and take your seats. Thank you so much for choosing, morning, Carlos, choosing to be here today. I feel really honored to be able to kick off this new series on the Psalms. But before we do that, I am reminded of where we are in the liturgical calendar, which is the week after Easter. And a lot of you were here last week and perhaps the week before as we remembered Holy Week and we went through the Stations of the Cross and we were reminded of what Jesus gave. And we celebrated the resurrection life that he has given to us. And here we are the week after. And I could not start this message without remembering collectively together that as Jesus told the disciples that it was better for him to go because he would leave us another, and that is the Holy Spirit. If you are not aware, if you love Jesus, you surrendered your life to him, Jesus offers you the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you and calls your body its temple home. And I bring that up today because as we, well, one, it's very important. (laughs) But two, as we dive into scripture, we have been given the Holy Spirit to help us. Scripture reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a counselor to us, a comforter, a friend, helps us interpret the scriptures, helps us to hear from God. What is God speaking to us? So before we jump in, I really just would like to pray together because there are many different people in this room and online, people who are maybe new to their faith, people who are maybe been following God forever, but we're just going to take a moment to pray. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart and you're ready to do that, we're going to pray that prayer. And we're also going to pray and just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to guide us over the next 25 minutes. So let's just pray together. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask that everybody in the room just repeats after me. Father, we thank you that you have given us eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, your only one and begotten Son, who bore the weight of my sin, of the world's sin, descended into the pits of hell and rose again. I confess that I can't do it on my own. I have nothing that earns me grace. I receive from you, Jesus, what only you can give. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to reveal to us, and to be with us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So if you were here on Palm Sunday, which was the Sunday before Easter, um, I spoke a little bit about my grandmother. I promise this relates. And if you weren't here, I'll catch you up. I was just sharing about how my grandmother was a really important person to me. Her name was Joyce. And she was actually adopted for the sole purpose of becoming a Catholic nun. And then she married my grandfather, a Baptist, and had six kids. So it didn't really go the way her parents were thinking. And I think we have a picture of my grandmother and my grandfather, Joyce, yep, and John, but we called him Jack. And my grandma had six kids and was just this incredible person, just so strong, but not loud, if that makes sense. It was, it was really quiet. And I shared at Palm Sunday that, um, you know, throughout her having six kids, and we have a lot of addiction in my family and alcoholism, and I just remember her reciting psalms, specifically, be still and know that I am God. She'd be cooking, she'd be meditating. I just knew it. And I shared at Palm Sunday that when my grandfather passed away pretty young, for his age, uh, she had this crisis of faith, a dark night of the soul. Maybe you're familiar with that term. Which basically means she could not wrap her mind around, God, I followed you, I trusted you, I've been faithful. How could this happen? They were together since they were 15. And I was asked to speak to share a psalm at my grandfather's funeral, and this was pretty early in my faith. And the thing about the psalms are that they are their language for the soul. The psalms give words to things that sometimes we can't even say out loud. And I remember when I was at the funeral, I read Psalm 63, and I just wept. I could barely get through it. And afterwards, people said, wow, you loved your grandfather so much. And I did, don't get me wrong. I did. But it was more that the words in this psalm, I knew my grandmother was feeling for her husband, the love of her life, who's gone. She was feeling for God, whom she loved and had great devotion for. And she couldn't understand how to navigate that. So I'm just going to read this psalm really Quickly, this wasn't even a part of my message, but I threw it in this morning. Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands up to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will pray you with, praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me up securely. And I wanted to open with that because if you've never read the Psalms, they, they, I don't know how else to better say it. They give language to words we don't even know how to use 
to express the way that we are feeling. Psalms teach us about how to be human and walk with God, wait for it, honestly. The Psalms teach us about honesty. And if there's one thing I pray that you take away today, it's that God loves you. God wants to hear what you're going through. Be honest with him. The Psalms are a language for every season of the soul. And I think that's really important to remember because I've got another little picture. And a lot of us at times want life to look like it is on the left. You know, linear, I've achieved, I'm on to the next phase. But on the right is how life actually works. Can I get an amen? And I, yeah, I used to use this um, before I worked here. I was a social worker, and I would use this for people that were grieving deep losses, whether it was a disappointment or a person, because we're taught that there are all these phases for grief, you know, uh, denial and acceptance, and, but it doesn't work like that, actually. You bounce around because we're more complex than we think, and life is the same. And sometimes I think there's this, I guess I would call it like a Christian trap of unmet expectations. We think that we accept Christ and he's going to be our great problem solver. Jesus is our shepherd, our shepherd. And in Psalm 23, didn't even plan to say this, but Psalm 23, which think the Lord is in our topic today, talks about leading us through green pastures and still waters and sitting at the table in the presence of my enemies, not running away. So we're going to focus on Psalms, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context so that we can better understand what the Psalms mean. The Psalms, what's beautiful about them is the Old Testament, so everything before the life of Jesus primarily is God talking or responding to people through laws or prophets. But the Psalms is people talking to God. It teaches us a language for how to be in relationship with God in every season of the soul. And the foundation of the Psalms is centered on the character of Yahweh, the God of Israel, God's chosen people. They knew that Yahweh was just, Yahweh was sovereign, but yet they were still people following a God that they didn't understand at times. And the Psalms talk about the human experience of living into the promised hope of God while being where we are currently. There are 150 Psalms. Uh, there are many authors, and some of the most well-known are by David who was a musician and a poet and a king. And what I love so much about David is he is so human. <laughs> David, God calls David his beloved. So basically, okay, quick, quick recap. The people of Israel were God's chosen people. And they wanted to be like everybody else. Every other nation had a king. Give us a king. And they are telling God what kind of a king they want. And God says, I'm going to show you who the king is. A nobody who is in a field shepherding sheep, the, the, David's dad didn't even bring him to present to the prophet because he's like, you don't want this one. Like, I'm not even going to bring him. I, imagine how that feels. David was a real guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But God says, 
this is my beloved. This is who's going, you want a king? I'll give you a king. So here comes David on the scene. And I told you I was a counselor before. What I love so much about David is like, he's up and he's down and he's joyful and he's weeping. You know, like most people would probably be very worried about him today. But what I love about David is David was just brutally honest. He's just saying all the other stuff no, none of us want to say in public. So a lot of these psalms come out of David's story and what it meant for him to be God's beloved while still making huge mistakes, huge. So these psalms were many things for ancient Israel. They were a hymn book. They were a prayer book. They were wisdom literature an anthology of poems. And a lot of theologians call it a mini Bible because the Psalms go over a lot of what God did to deliver the people out of bondage, but also prophesying of the coming Messiah. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms is there's so much artistic imagery. Uh, Prose, so there's prose and there's poetry. Prose is if you want to directly communicate with someone, if you want to give them a report. Poetry is, among many other things, an attempt to transcend the limitations of normal human language and give expression to something not easily expressed in words. So the point of the Psalms wasn't to report. The point of the Psalms was to recreate the author's experience. So the Psalms, to me, are a field guide into becoming, which we are all constantly on the journey, right? None of us arrive. If you think you've arrived, you're probably in trouble, and the good Lord's going to speak to you about that. Because it's humility. We are always on a journey with God. So, uh, so the Psalms give language when at times we feel we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do, where to turn next. And the book of Psalms, right, 150, are split into five different collections. And the beautiful thing is that Psalm 1 and 2, are you still with me? It's a little bit of history. Okay, but then we're going to dive in, I promise. Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of like an introduction. So Psalm 1 celebrates how blessed someone is who meditates on the teaching or the Torah, telling us that the Psalms are meant to be a prayer book. The second Psalm is a reflection on 2 Samuel chapter 7 that promises the messianic king to come. So meditation on what God's done, declaring what God's going to do, this prophecy. And then, you know, the other four collections go through God's covenant and faithfulness to David, a hope for a future for the temple and the messianic king to return, uh, their experience, the Israelites' experience in exile, and then how they respond in exile, proclaiming the messianic king uh, to reign and bringing, ushering in God's kingdom, which we will go into more throughout this series. But the most important thing for you to know is that overall, so this is the introductory message. We're starting at ground zero. The beautiful thing about the Psalms is it teaches us relational theology, teaches us how to be in relationship with God in every season, how to be in relationship with others in every season, and how to be in relationship with ourselves and God's story in and through us. 
So I'm going to read this quick quote. It's Claus Westerman. This is what he has to say about the Psalms. They reflect life with its depths and heights. Life lived in manifold environments between the deep seas and the high mountains over a long history of time. The Psalms reflect individual joys and sorrows between birth and death, their toil and celebration, sleeping and waking, sickness and recovery, losses, anxieties, and confidence, the temptation to despair and the comfort that we receive. The Psalms are a testimony of God's intimate awareness and active participation in our life even when it doesn't feel like it. And there are categories that the, that the Psalms speak to. This is the last thing, and then we're going to actually jump in. Uh, the first one is that the, the Psalms communicate lament. And I think that as Christ followers, we have a lot to learn about lament. To lament means to express your deep grief, your anger, your suffering. God, why have you abandoned me? I'll tell you, one of the number one things that I hear as a pastor is, how do you pray? I don't think I'm praying right. And my answer is always just be honest. There is no right way to prayer. God, you know, if you're in relationship with somebody, best friend, a spouse, and they're going through something and they don't trust you to tell you, you know, you know. And it creates this gap between you and the other person. And, you know, I think especially for women, but maybe men too, I don't want to discriminate. You're like, do I bring this up? Are they going to get upset? Is it me? Is it them? Should I say something? Should I not? You know, it's like we get all crazy in our heads. And the thing is, is that God already knows what we're going through. And so many times we can get stuck in bitterness and offense because we are genuinely suffering and we don't trust God with it. We don't trust God enough to say, I'm angry. You were supposed to be here for me. I didn't see you. God wants to hear that from us. The second category is repentance. We see the people of Israel make mistakes and then say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. They confess and they turn and they change. There's a category of faithfulness and hope, as we already heard, that we're remembering God's faithfulness and we're declaring our hope in the future. We hear psalms of relief where God comes and he comforts us. And we hear psalms of praise. The psalms give us prompts and patterns of how to move from lament to praise. Isn't that life? Moving from lament to praise, and then you repeat it. <laughs> so lastly, the framework for reading these psalms, and maybe we could just put that image back up. There's a theologian, Walter Brueggemann, Walter Brueggemann who says, I want you to look at this while I read, look at that image while I read. There are psalms of orientation that represent how life is supposed to work, maybe the image on the left. There are psalms of disorientation. Uh, life isn't working as I thought it should. Image on the right. And then psalms of new orientation. God, you actually show me a way to make life work through it all. So that is the framework that we're going to use when talking about the psalms. And 
I want to reiterate that, well, I guess I have to share it first. I heard a very well-intentioned person say once, you know, we've just got to move beyond the Psalms. And I was like, mayday. You know, I used to be a, what, you know, okay. Was a counselor. I don't think he ever stopped being a counselor. But I'm like, oh, this person has deep emotional things that they are not in touch with. <laughs> because, because the Psalms, I mean, if, you're a, if you've ever lost someone, if you've ever been truly brokenhearted, confused, feeling like, where do I go, caught in despair, the Psalms are like healing you didn't know you needed. They navigate your way through the disruptions and the disorientations of life. So I just want to say that, again, we are always in a phase of becoming. We never arrive, and the Psalms guide us on how to live in the present by reminding us of what God did in the past while prophesying hope for the future. And when I was praying about how do, how do, you, you, know, how do you even begin to talk about the Psalms, I realized that I want to start at Psalm 139 because, again, there are many different people in this room. And if you do not genuinely believe God's truths for you, it, I don't know how to move forward. And Psalm 139 is so beautiful. So I'm going to invite you to take out your Bibles if you have them. If not, we'll have them on the screen. But we're literally going to read these verse by verse and talk about what it means. This is going to be the foundation for us having an understanding, but also a belief in the rest of the Psalms. So we're going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me so I know you're not taking a nap. I can see you. And at home, read out loud too. All right, let's start. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Wow. What this scripture is telling us is that God is so intimately acquainted with us that word know implies a divine discernment. And what this means for me is that when I want to hide from God, when I've made gigantic mistakes, when I feel like I have disappointed him so badly, there's no way I could come into God's presence. This scripture reminds me God knows it anyways. And just like any parents in the room, you want your child to come to you. You want your child to tell you what they've done so you can love them and embrace them. And there was a study done years ago. Um, people were asked, what is the one word you think God thinks about you? You want to know what the answer was? Disappointed. I just heard somebody say it over here. Yes, disappointed. So we're walking around with a framework that we're a huge disappointment to God anyways. So we hide. 
we run the other way, but this scripture is telling us that God is familiar with all of our ways. And not only that, but this word hem, when it says you hem me in behind and before me, that means to protect. So regardless of what choices you make, regardless of how angry you feel, regardless of the worst thing you've ever done in your entire life, God is protecting you before you and he's protecting behind you. Who we are doesn't change who God is. He stays the same. Scripture says he's not a man that he would lie. When he declares these words over you, he means them even when you feel like it the least. And I love at the end in verse 6, the psalmist is exalting God, confessing, Lord, your ways are beyond me in giving thanks. Let's continue to read verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. That is the best news you're going to hear all day. This is so powerful if you open your heart to believe. God is saying here, my presence is everywhere. It's everywhere in your deepest pain, in your deepest trauma, in your deepest shame, and the things that you keep hidden. The psalmist here is speaking of protection. Listen to these words. The light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. Remember that prayer we prayed at the beginning of this? Jesus took on the weight of the sin of the world and he descended into the pit of hell. He went into the darkest darkness and he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He defeated death. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have sold your soul to the devil, you know what? The darkness is like light to God. Come home. Verses 13 through 18. Oh, I I love this part. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The same God who in Genesis created every star, every galaxy, everything around you, knit you, formed you, fashioned you in your mother's womb. When I feel most insignificant, when I feel most in despair, 
this is the scripture that I go to. And I have to, with my words, declare this truth over myself. God, you have every single day of my life ordained for me, written in your book. You are my present help in times of trouble. I will not fear. When the word gets in you, we start to transform. And the psalmist here is saying that God is everywhere. You know, we tend to separate our lives into two categories. There's the sacred church on Sundays, and then there's everything else. And, and, and the psalmist is saying here, God is in all things, through all things, everywhere. He doesn't want you to be a good Christian on a Sunday. He's interested in who you are becoming and giving you abundant life everywhere that you go, everywhere that you go. Because if not, we're just hypocrites. And the world is tired. I'm tired. It takes a lot of energy to pretend and act. God wants us to be authentically who we were created to be. This psalm is so powerful if we open our heart to it. Lastly, verses 19 through 24. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is such a classic example of what we see in the Psalms. One minute, we're like, you knit me, you formed me, you fashioned me in my mother's womb. And the next minute, we're like, slay the wicked. <laughs> but this is so us. This is so what it means to be human. Because on my best day, when I feel successful in my job, I feel successful in my relationships, I'm like, praise the Lord. I love you, God. And then something happens. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. And I'm like, Lord, just stray the, slay the wicked. You know, like this is who we are as people. This is us. And I love David for being so honest. But there's more here. I was meditating on this psalm, and I thought, wow. This psalmist is clearly suffering of injustice, obviously. And remember at the beginning we said that the psalms are written out of a foundation that God is just, God is faithful, and God will do what he said he'll do. But in the meantime, we're living our lives like this guy. So I think that here, he's suffering. And the psalmist starts to direct God, tell God what God should do. In verse 19, he says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. And I got to be honest. I was reading this, and I'm like, been there multiple times 
where I take the place of the righteous judge. And I feel that God's not doing his job, so I'm just going to step in for him and help him out. Because he's got other things to do. I'm going to, I got this. It's fine. But, (laughs) but you can see, I mean, you can see his pain. And then at the end, in verse 23, I think that the psalmist realized what was happening that he was recognizing that he's teetering on the edge and he asked God to reveal any offensive way in him. Listen to these words, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. If you have ever prayed that prayer, the Lord is faithful to do that, okay? (laughs) And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me. So powerful. So what do we learn from the Psalms? One, before I even get into it, I pray that you would take this Psalm later in your life. It's not about speed. It's about sitting and waiting and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and listening. And the Spirit of God will say different things to all of us in this room because we're so unique, and we already know that God knows everything about us. He knows a word before it leaves our mouth, and he wants to speak something to us. So really meditate on these scriptures, on these psalms. But the way that the Psalms apply to our lives is firstly through prayer, which I already said is to be brutally honest. You will read some shocking stuff in the Psalms. But the reality is that God cannot help us through a season that we are pretending to not be in. God cannot heal us if we're pretending we're fine. And God cannot lead us on a good path when we're off charting our own and calling it God's. He can't. He's there. He's waiting. We're doing our own thing. I am the worst at this. We are all the worst at this. And just a couple psalms Like Psalm 13, David says, how long, Lord? Okay, so remember, God chose David to be the king. Said, you're my beloved. David says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. This is so honest. It's okay to admit to God that you don't understand that you are angry, that you feel alone and abandoned because then we can start to have an honest conversation. 
nobody in this room likes having surface level conversations or we all know we're talking about this thing, but this thing over here really needs to be addressed because God desires true intimacy with us. This psalm tells us, you can say to God, will you forget me forever? We read in scripture that God will never forget or abandon us, but sometimes we feel like it, and it's okay to say that. Psalm 33, I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shred, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust. These are psalms of lament, of suffering. And we need to be honest. Because only then does God let me rephrase. God's always close. He never moves. Only then do we come close and receive from God. And the second thing that the Psalms help us understand is how to live a life of praise and gratitude. Praise is not an up-tempo song on a Sunday. Living a life of praise and gratitude is completely countercultural. And that's why I believe you see these extreme highs and lows in the Psalms because they're lamenting and then their honesty brings them to a place where they can raise their hands above their circumstances and declare who God is and what he said he will do. And we see this over and over again. Israel praises God, so they're suffering, they need relief. They praise God for what he did in the past, creation, exodus, restoration from exile, and then they begin to declare the prophetic promise of the future. The Psalms bridge the past, wait, yes, the past and the future to inform us of how to live in the present. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and I remembered that, you know, the season before we celebrate Christmas, it's called Advent. And Advent means to wait. And hate to break it to you, but part of following Jesus is waiting. We are in the in-between. There are things in the Psalms that we read that people prayed for in generations did this is a whole other message, but God actually said, I'm making my covenant with you and your people will be in bondage for 400. God said that. Your people will be in bondage for 400 years. That seems paradoxical. That doesn't seem to make sense. So imagine the prayers that were being prayed 400 years later, the deliverance happens. We read Exodus we don't always get to see, but it doesn't mean that God is asleep on the job. And how we wait is our becoming. That is our testimony to the world. Because I'll tell you what, I've waited, and it's not my best moment. You know, you can wait a variety of different ways. You know, my husband's sitting right there. He will tell you, 
I've waited impatiently. I've waited while tapping my toes. I've waited while giving a very certain look. What kind of a message? All I'm doing is projecting my unhappiness. Or I can wait with praise. I can wait with gratitude. I can be a person of Advent who waits seeing God in and through all things. And when I mess up, which is daily, I can talk to God about it and be honest. Which leads me to the last point, number three, is that the Psalms teach us how to respond. They bridge the internal life to the external. They teach us how to navigate emotional health. For example, if you're going through a time of deep sadness, Psalm 43 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my rock. This psalm is not saying pretend like none of this is happening and live in a false world. This psalm is saying, why are you cast down? Talk to me about it. And you will again praise God. Have hope. What do we do when those who have done us wrong look like they're prospering? Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that it is his coming. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake the saints. And the Psalms also teach us about navigating life together as a community. The Psalms speak of individual but also collective journeys. And a lot of you in this room, maybe online, were here for Easter and we're a part of um, the Stations of the Cross. And in this room, as we remembered what Jesus gave, there was a huge cross right over there. And we were invited to nail down the things that get in our way, our sin, our disappointments, our unmet expectations. I, I could not fit them all. There's more. But things in here, grief, shame, anger, loss. I mean, this is life. This is life. And the Psalms teach us how to navigate life while we wait. So I'm just going to say a closing prayer. Father, each of us is here in a different circumstance with our own story. And yet your story flows through us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. 
and commit to listening. May we be found in your story. May we search the scriptures. You are the God of the universe and the God who knows every hair on our head. Every tear you have kept in a bottle. So we present ourselves to you now, the things we're proud of, the things we're not, the things we want to hide and the things we want to showcase for you and say, here I am, Lord. Be with me this day. Be with me this day. May we be instruments of your peace, testimonies of a people who wait with joy because we know we know that the king is coming. The king is here. Thank you, God. 